Well, we're going to begin a new series today, looking at the book of Jonah. And over the next few weeks, we're going to work our way scene by scene through this important book. And my invitation to us is to come with some open hearts and minds to this text. Unfortunately, Jonah is sometimes reduced to this cute kid story about a, a man who's swallowed by a whale and spit out on shore. But as I've been preparing for this series, I've been reminded again of the literary and theological depth of this book. This short four-chapter book has much to teach us about the heart God has for our world and some of the barriers that get in the way of us responding to God's call on our life. And indeed, that's where the story picks up. It's a surprising start to the story. God calls Jonah to be a missionary to the despised Ninevites, and he decides to run in the completely opposite direction. He flees from this call. And that's the theme I want to engage in our text today. I I think this opening scene invites us to reflect on a couple questions. Uh, First, I, I think it invites us to explore the ways we sometimes run from the Lord. What are some of the things that cause us to resist God's call? Second, I I think it invites us to ask where we run to. How how do we seek to avoid God's leading in our life? And lastly, I hope we'll discover where God is at in the midst of our running. Uh, There's a, a beautiful reality of God's mercy continuing to pursue us in the midst of our resistance and in our running. Well, uh, as we get into this text and when we understand uh, the context, we might be less quick to pass judgment on Jonah. At first uh, glance, we might think, what are you doing, Jonah? This isn't going to go well for you. We know how this ends, right? But as we get into the context of the story, we can start to understand why, Nineveh, or sorry, why Jonah would be resistant to this call to go to Nineveh. Nineveh is representat- uh, representative of the arch enemy of his people. And so Jim Breckner, who's a covenant biblical scholar, writes this, Nineveh, the capital of Assyria, was Israel's worst enemy and the bane of the ancient world. They were a powerful and well-developed civilization known for their brutal and grisly treatment of their enemies. Uh, Breckner goes on to show all the archaeological information about just how brutal this terrorist regime was, and it's, it's too much for me to even share with young ears in the room. <laughs> and, it, and it helps us understand the resistance of Jonah. One writer says that these were like the Nazi stormtroopers of the ancient world. They were despised. And perhaps it might even just connect with us in light of what we saw on our news feeds this week. Just the, uh, the brutality of terrorism in our world. This call to Jonah is not unlike calling an Israelite to go and be a missionary to the leaders of Hamas once this current war settles down. That's the intensity of this, of this story. And so we can begin to see why Jonah is on the run. I think uh, that what we discover here is a number of reasons why Jonah would want to run. First, I think there is a sense of fear. He would be fearful of going to Nineveh. There'd be a fear of just his own reputation. He was not alone in his disdain for these people. And so, perhaps uh, would be concerned that people would look down at him. He would lose his reputation if he took on this call. There is fear for his own life and safety. 
Uh, you imagine a prominent rabbi going to the streets of Berlin at the height of the Third Reich and calling out the Nazi regime for their crimes. That would be a dangerous situation, right? So he's fearful for his life. There's all kinds of fear that gets in the way. I think Jonah is also a little bit disoriented by this call. I think he's questioning what God is saying. There's some distrust here. It's challenging his worldview and his theological perspective. Because God, you see, while he is calling out the evil of Nineveh, is holding out this hope that they might repent. Now, God is not condoning the evil of Jonah. He's calling Jonah to confront their wickedness. But this is what we read at the end of the story. Jonah is nervous that they might actually repent, and God might actually forgive them. This is the answer we're given at the end of the story. That's why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you are gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. And this is just blowing his mind. This expansive embrace of God to his enemies is confronting his worldview, his theological categories of kind of who's in and who's out. Jonah shows up elsewhere in Scripture, and we learn from this previous reference that he was very passionate about his people. He shows up in 2 Kings 14, and he's a prophet during the reign of this king named Jeroboam II. And uh, Jeroboam actually was a very evil king and was not doing what the Lord asked. And Jonah's contemporary prophets, Amos and Hosea, spoke out against him. But Jonah spoke in favor of Jeroboam because he was so excited about expanding the territory of his people. And so that, that background makes it shocking that he's the main character of this scene. And so this is what Timothy Keller writes. The original readers of the book of Jonah would have remembered him as intensely patriotic, a highly partisan nationalist, and they would have been amazed that God would send a man like that to preach the very people he most feared and hated. So there's all kinds of irony, all kinds of shock in this story. This is disorienting for Jonah. It's kind of expanding his categories, and he's starting to distrust God. He's disoriented by the expansive nature of God's mercy. The question that this poses to us, I think, is this. Why do we sometimes run from the Lord? Where is there some resistance in our hearts to follow God's call on our life? If you feel that resistance, if you find yourself running from time to time, you are not alone. In fact, almost every major character in Scripture deals with resistance on the spiritual journey. Adam and Eve run from the Lord. Moses questions his calling, send somebody else. Who am I to do this work? Almost all the prophets have a debate with the Lord, asking that he would send somebody else. Jesus' disciples flee when things get hard. This really is meant to hold up a mirror to us. And if you sometimes feel that resistance or that tendency to drift or run, you are not alone. This is just part of the human story. And the, the question that this opening scene invites us to explore is why? Why do we tend to run? Well, I think like Jonah, I think fear is often one of those barriers that gets in the way of us saying yes to God and following through with God's call on our life. We might be fearful of failure, fearful of the opinions of other people, 
or simply fearful of the challenges and obstacles that come as we seek to grow and become a disciple. There is pain on the journey of faith, and sometimes we want to avoid that, and we can derail the deeper work of growth that God has for us when it gets difficult. The psychologist Abraham Maslow actually coined the concept of having a Jonah syndrome based on this story. And he talks about our tendency, the Jonah syndrome is our tendency to avoid the necessary obstacles, challenges, and responsibilities that we face on the path to growth. Whenever you've experienced some type of growth, you likely have experienced some obstacles and some pain. En route to a new career, you have to face the challenges of college. When you start a new job, it is sometimes difficult. And the same thing happens in the spiritual journey. Jesus has prepared us for this. In this world, you will have trouble, he says. If you want to find your life, you must lose your life. If you want to be my disciple, you need to take up your cross and follow me. Now, here's the problem. I think sometimes we have marketed Christianity as this path to freedom, joy, and purpose. And to be sure, that is true. There is truth. The good news is good. The gospel is good. But what we sometimes edit out in our marketing of the Christian gospel is that en route to freedom and joy and purpose, we face obstacles. We face challenges. That is sometimes the means by which God grows us. And so we're at risk of falling into the Jonah syndrome, avoiding those hard things, prematurely leaving the path God has for us when things get difficult. Uh, The writer David Foster Wallace has this great paraphrase of uh, Jesus, and he says, the truth will set you free, but not until it's done with you. So that's a quote from Jesus, the truth will set you free, but not until it's done with you. And maybe that resonates, that on your journey of growth, there's been a battle, there's been struggle, there has been challenge. So like Jonah, I think sometimes fear can derail our journey, that causes us to flee. I think like Jonah, sometimes we face disorientation and confusion as God is expanding our picture of the Christian life. I remember my my first year of college was a very scary and disorienting year. You see, I went in, I I had God all figured out. God was fitting nicely in this neat little box that I could control and understand. I knew what was right and what was wrong and who was in and who was out. And as I was engaging in this first year of college, I was encountering ideas and experiences and suffering and ways of reading scripture that were just opening things up, and it was scary. Deconstruction is a scary process. When we are afraid, uh, fundamentalism and black and white thinking are actually very appealing because we like to know what's, what's happening. It helps us feel in control. And, And God so often, as we see in the scriptures, invites religious people to have a more expansive view of mercy and grace. This is his ongoing dialogue with the Pharisees. And that can be disorienting. I think it's just helpful to name that, that as we grow and expand our view of God, it's hard to sometimes let go of those old images of God that we found comfort in, or those simple ideas that we could get our hands around So I wonder if sometimes that causes us to to prematurely leave the journey. 
I know there's a lot of talk about deconstruction right now, and I think uh, a lot of people are working through deep questions of faith, maybe have uh, been wounded by some bad theology or some limited views of God. I just want to encourage those of you who are on that journey to, to continue to persevere through some of the reconstruction phase as well. Sometimes it's important for us to go through those deep times of questioning. Uh, but it can be a scary journey, and sometimes I think we leave the journey prematurely. Like uh, Jonah, I wonder if some of us feel reluctant to pursue reconciliation with somebody. I just wonder if this story actually is very close to home for some of us. Do you maybe have a Nineveh? Is there a person or is there a people group that God wants to soften your heart towards? I wonder what your Nineveh is. <clears throat> so Jonah, fearful for his life, reluctant to change his mind, <clears throat> angry at his enemies, decides to flee. God calls him to arise and go to Nineveh, and instead he arises and goes down to Joppa. And we see this contrast being set in the story. Instead of going east, he goes west. Instead of going up, he goes down. And the writer of this narrative emphasizes this word down. He goes down to Joppa, down onto the boat, down below the deck of the boat, and eventually down to the bottom of the sea. Jonah is on a downward trajectory. Twice in our text it says that he decides to flee the presence of the Lord. Now, being a prophet that he is, he probably recognizes the futility of this attempt. <laughs> he is likely aware of the great truth that we read this morning in Psalm 139, that God is present even in the depths. Psalm 139 says, Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you are there. If I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there your hand will lead me. And indeed, as the story unfolds, we discover that God's presence reaches out to Jonah even when he hits rock bottom in the remote part of the sea. Nevertheless, Jonah tries his best to flee. It's interesting, while some of the other prophets get into a debate, Jonah doesn't even have a debate. He's just radio silent, and he runs. And he runs as far away as he can to this place called Tarshish. Now, what's interesting and what's missed in some of our translations is that this geographical location is repeated over and over. And in the NIV, it removes some of them because it's just bad English. It says that port a couple times, right? But here's a more literal translation. Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So he went down to Joppa, found a ship which was going again to Tarshish. The ferry went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. The writer of the story is trying to get our attention. There's something significant being communicated about the direction that Jonah is running and the place to which he runs. Tim Mackey, who heads up the Bible Project, uses the metaphor of how 
uh, Hebrew writers use what are like hyperlinks in our day and age. So when you read an online article and you see a word that is underlined or highlighted, it's a hyperlink. You can click on it and it'll take you to another page which gives you more context about that concept that's being referenced. And we're going to notice this throughout the book of, of Jonah that there are all kinds of hyperlinks or references back to other important parts of Scripture. And Mackie says that this reference to Tarshish is like this glowing hyperlink. I'm trying to get your attention. Click on this and see what this is referring to. And so this week in my study, I clicked on the hyperlink, and I did a little search about this random place called Tarshish. And what we discover is that throughout the Bible, we see references to ships sailing from Tarshish. What's all this about, and why is this being communicated? I think this tells us something significant about where we go when we're trying to run from God. Tarshish is a place that is known for its wealth and resources. And in 1 Kings 10, we see that Solomon gets all his gold from ships coming from Tarshish. For the king had at sea the ships of Tarshish with the ships of Hiram, Hiram, and once every three years, these ships of Tarshish came bringing gold and silver, ivory, and apes and peacocks. Kind of random. <laughs> but Tim Mackey says what, what's going on here is uh, that Tarshish represents worldly idolatry. This is how Solomon filled his life with the things of this world. Worldly idolatry, luxury, and pagan influence. And if we had more time, I'd even go deeper, and, and Mackie talks about how what Solomon is doing is he's trying to build a pseudo-Eden. He's trying to live a life of fulfillment apart from God, and it all comes from the resources of this faraway land called Tarshish. We see it come up again, and interestingly, just in my own prayers this week, I was praying through the Psalms, and I was in Psalm 48, and I noticed this reference where it says of God that you destroyed them like ships Tarshish shattered by an east wind. Sounds a whole lot like the next scene we're going to look on, right? Jonah is in a ship sailing for Tarshish, and an east wind comes to bring it down. What this means is that uh, Tarshish becomes representative of our attempts to fill our life with worldly things, with the luxuries, the idols of this world. And God, in Psalm 48, brings that down knowing that it's not good for us. It's going to come up empty for us. And so the question that this poses, why do I go all into this, is that it asks us to reflect on what we turn to, where we go when we are running from God. To Mackie says, Tarshish is a pseudo-Eden that appears throughout the Bible as a source of wealth and resources that people use to create their own versions of Eden, which then subjects them to judgment. I wonder if there are things that you are turning to to kind of numb the pain of the hard challenges of life, to distract yourself from the deeper calling that God has for you. I wonder if there are things that you turn to to try and fill kind of that discontent or numb the pain that you feel on the journey of growth in a painful, difficult world. Where is your Tarshish? What do you flee to? What do you turn to to try and supplant a reliance on God's will for your life? If you find yourself doing this, you are not alone. <laughs> Jonah 
is heading in the wrong direction. God calls him to arise and go out in mission, but Jodah goes down, down to Joppa, down into a boat, down below the deck of the boat, and eventually down to the bottom of the sea. Jonah is in a downward trajectory. And I just wonder if some of us come today and we feel like we're headed in a downward trajectory in life. And maybe some of us are even drowning a little bit today. Perhaps we have turned to the things of this world to Tarshish to try and fill that hole in our hearts, to try and numb the pain that we feel, only to discover a persistent emptiness or perhaps the cause of our drowning. The good news that I want to leave you with is this. The story reminds us, the story of Jonah reminds us that God does not give up on us. This ultimately is a story of the great, surprising, mysterious mercy of God. There's a God who does not give up on the people of Nineveh, there's a God that does not give up on the rebellious prophet Jonah. Now, as the story unfolds, we're going to discover that Psalm 139, in fact, is true. And that even though Jonah seeks to flee the presence of God, even in the depths, God is there. Even in the most remote part of the sea, his hand reaches out to him and seeks to lead him to freedom. And I just want to proclaim that hope to you, to those of you who feel like you're moving backwards or maybe drowning today, that even in those dark places, God is with you. And even in those places where you feel like you're drowning, this is not the end of your story. But even there, his hand reaches out to you. And I would just simply call upon you to grasp that hand and allow God to draw you back into this life of faith that he calls us to. Would you join me in prayer? God, we thank you for the honesty of Scripture. And we acknowledge today that this holds up perhaps a mirror to our own hearts. God, we name some of the ways today that we are resistant and maybe running from you. We acknowledge our fears. We acknowledge our disorientation. We acknowledge some of the anger in our hearts or maybe the ways we distrust you. Lord, we thank you that you are, in fact, abounding in mercy, slow to anger, full of grace. May we enter into that for our enemies and also receive that for ourselves today. As we continue in worship, Lord, I pray that you would breathe these words to life and that you would minister among us even here now as we respond, that you would be drawing us out of the depths that you would be helping us repent and turn back to you if we're moving in the wrong direction, that you would be doing your healing, restoring, renewing work, God, that you'd even be about the work of expanding our picture of you and your great mercy. So we invite you to be at work among us now as we respond. We pray with faith and in hope in Jesus' name. Amen.